If you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Today, as has already been said, is Christ the King Sunday. The last Sunday of Pentecost. And truly, in the church calendar, which is what we follow here at Harvest Point, that's why we have it on the front of your bulletin every day, is to remind you of that we don't just orient our lives according to the world's schedule or what Walmart's doing or selling, but rather we have uh, a liturgical calendar, a calendar that is set up so that we might focus our attention on God and what he has done. And so this is actually, in the church calendar, the last Sunday of the year. Because the new year starts with the first Sunday of Advent, which will be next Sunday. So, just to orient our attention to that. And so, what I want to do, if it it truly is the last Sunday, so to speak, in the church calendar, wouldn't it be appropriate if we read from the book of Revelation, which is the end, the last book. I mean, the Bible begins with a book called Genesis, which means beginning, and it ends with a book called Revelation, which really means the end, the apocalypse, the revealing of the end. Notice these words here as you turn your attention to Revelation 19. Now, these are powerful words, and I want you to hear them with ears to hear. We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 19 of Revelation. Then I saw, remember this is John, his revelation. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God The Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Wow! Wow! Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your holy word that always smashes our tendency to idolize. And make you into our image. You are not. You are God. We are not. May you be God in this place. And reveal yourself to us this morning. And may we respond in obedience, faith, and love. We pray in your most holy name. Amen.
I didn't want to say this before the election, but during the presidential race, uh, President-elect Donald Trump actually wrote to me. It's true. He wrote to me. Uh, Many don't know this, including my wife. Um, He wrote to me a a couple letters, actually, email-wise, and um, I got those letters. I didn't actually read them because quickly I realized it wasn't actually him that was writing them. You know. You know how it is. You get the emails. It actually went straight to my spam mail. I mean, this is supposed to be Donald Trump of all people, and it goes straight to my spam mail. And uh, the reason why is because he wasn't really the one who was writing. He had a staffer writing. It was a whatever spot. I don't even, I didn't ever read it, so I don't know what it was. But it was a, I'm assuming they wanted my money. They wanted my support, whatever. Some people view God like that. They don't really believe that he's written to us. They don't really believe that he has spoken directly to us. See, your interest was piqued when I said Donald Trump wrote to me, right? But is your interest not blown out of the water if God speaks directly to you who is the king of kings, who doesn't have a four-year term, who is not elected by humans, but elected by God? He has spoken, my friends. And this is good news for us. This description of Jesus is a powerful one. And it's one that I believe is for us in this hour. It begins with a white horse. He sees the heavens opened and very clearly the text says twice a white horse and white horses of which the saints will be riding upon, the righteous ones, and behold, a white horse. And I got to think, of, what's, what's the deal with a white horse? Well, then, of course, I started thinking about my typical go-to movies, right? Well, The Matrix doesn't have any horses in it, so check that one. Get some art. Um, but I all of a sudden realized that uh, the Chronicles of Narnia does have a horse. Actually, it's a unicorn, but nonetheless, it's a white unicorn, all right? Then all of a sudden, it struck me. It struck me, this scene from Lord of the Rings where they're at Helm's Deep. You may remember it well. If you've ever seen the movies, you won't forget it once you've seen it. And all night, they're fighting with the forces of Mordor. These dark orcs, nasty-looking breed of creation from Mordor. And Aragorn and uh, the crew have been fighting. King Theoden is there. And Aragorn turns to uh, Theoden and he says this. He says, ride out with me. They're actually being overrun at this point. The door's falling in. The main entrance has been overrun. They've they've come over the walls now, which is just unthinkable. I mean, this this place is supposed to be the most fortified place you can find in humanity, in Middle-earth. And he says, ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. And then Theoden says, for death and glory? And he says, no, for Rohan and for your people. Then all of a sudden, Gimli, remember the dwarf? He chimes in and he says, the sun is rising. And all of a sudden, you realize that Aragorn, who is the true king, uh, actually remembers a prophecy 
of Gandalf, the prophet. So you have this prophet, priest, and king thing going on in the Lord of the Rings, too, by the way, which are the three offices in Israel. Not that I've studied that before or anything, right? <clears throat> um, and here's what happens. Here was the prophecy. Listen, and listen to these words and then connect them to what we just read. Gandalf said this many days before this battle. He said, on the first light on the fifth day at dawn, look to the east. And so Theoden says, yes, yes, the horn of Helm, uh, Hammerin shall sound in the deep one last time. And then again, as they're being overrun, he says, let this be the hour when we draw swords together. And then he says this little little poetical, you know, thing here. Fell deeds awake, now for wrath, now for ruin, and the red dawn, and then the, the horn sounds, and they charge out. And I mean, they charge out, and when they charge out, they're just, they're just blowing people off the bridge, they're just charging out, and there's, there's this victory that's all of a sudden happening, and as soon as they get out there on the battlefield, the dawn is breaking just over the horizon, and all of a sudden, shadow facts emerges. You say, who's shadow facts? It's Gandalf's, well, no, it's nobody's horse exactly. Technically, if you look up the history of Shadowfax, he is not owned by anybody, nor is he controlled by anybody. He is the lord of all horses, and he comes out but is allowing Gandalf to ride him, and all of a sudden you just see Shadowfax and Gandalf right in the breaking light of dawn, but then he's not alone. He's got an entire army behind him, and they charge from the east to win the battle. And the forces of evil are broken. You can't help but understand that Tolkien was reading the scriptures when he understood the imagery that is there that he brought to us in that book which became a movie. And here he comes with the whole Calvary. One day, friends... We'll see a very similar sight. Tolkien was alluding to what will happen one day, and that is the dawn will break. No more almost sunrise. The sun will shine in its fullness. After the long night of toil and labor, which is human history, the day breaks. And there will be a white horse that emerges. And on that horse will be riding one of which his name no one knows but himself. And yet is the king of kings and lord of lords. Wow. What a contrast from when he was riding on a donkey. Into Jerusalem. What a contrast when he was abandoned at his crucifixion by even his friends and disciples to now he comes with the armies of heaven. What a contrast from the first time he comes bringing grace and truth to now raw justice. There's this old term, it's archaic, but it's meant for usage with regal language or kings, and that is terrible. 
He's terrible. Now, it doesn't mean, like, morally terrible. It means he is to be feared. Terrible and great. And when Christ emerges, as we have seen from this vision in 19 of Revelation, that's not one where you're going to fist pump him, bump chests together, and say, what's up, my homeboy? The only thing we can do when that Jesus emerges from the east is bow our faces to the ground and try not to die. This was John's response, wasn't it? You remember he was on the Isle of Patmos? He had been exiled by the Romans. Nobody wanted him, so they stuck him on an island. And all of a sudden, Jesus wanted him because he revealed himself to him. But when he turned around, it was a very different picture of Jesus than when he had last seen him hanging from a tree, buried in a tomb. Now, all he could do was put his face in the sand and hope he wasn't going to die. You know, even our graveyards traditionally face the east. And the reason why is because the dead will rise like this to the east. They are buried in the hope of resurrection. Traditionally, the architecture of a church, the congregation, faces the east. Whenever we build one day, we'll do that. We'll be facing the east because that's where he will come from to bring salvation and justice. Right now, we're almost in one of these things where, I saw it this morning actually when I got up early, was, you know, you see that the sun is about to break, but it hasn't quite broken yet. It's just sort of light over in the eastern area. You know, for Christians, it's a dawn. For sinners, the unrighteous, it's a dusk. Because when he comes, just as we rotate now on this earth, so too the tide of humanity will rotate one way or the other into utter darkness or unbearable light. And truly, God is light and only in him is light. There is no darkness at all. You say, well, then how, how, how are you talking about darkness then? You ever try to look directly into a light? Can't see anything. I mean, I've got this powerful flashlight, you know, that's meant to actually, you know, in case somebody comes in my house, I can shine it in their eyes. They can't see anything. And to the unrighteous, it's, it's darkness. But to the righteous, it's glorious light. Let's make sure before the day breaks that we're on the right side, that we're facing the east, spiritually speaking. That we're looking forward to his coming. He's on a white horse. (laughs) I love that. Love the imagery. Which reminds me, and I'm going to do a play with words. The righteous reign of Christ is what we want to talk about. But I want to use reign. As you know, it has a range of meaning. I want to use rain in three different ways. The first of which is this. Rain. Like a horse. The reins even on a horse. The term actually R-E-I-N comes from horse riding. You can look up the etymology of the word. We used to, you know, ride horses. We used to ride animals and stuff to get around and even travel around with 
with produce and whatnot. Today we use trucks and cars, which is not half as fun. But back then our language was formed by what we did. And one of the things that we did was to travel on horse. One of the ways you travel on horse is to, you have to restrain the power of that animal. You do that with reins. And so when we talk about reining something in, it's actually an equestrian sort of term. God has reined in the powers of evil. That's what he came to do his first time. In other words, when he came in the flesh, he was begging. The early church fathers actually like to think of it as tricking the enemy. In other words, baiting them. If you read back early 200s, 300s AD, you'll see a lot of talk in the early church about the devil being tricked. Just like a fish, right? So how do you go fishing? You can just throw a hook in the water. You bait it. Who was the bait? God himself. And when the enemy tried to swallow him in death, guess what happened? Life. Can't kill God. God's not dead because it's impossible. We might be dead, but not God. And so the enemy was tricked. And the very thing the enemy had, the one tool that the enemy had in his pocket to use, which was death, was the one thing by which God would bring new life. Isn't that crazy how he does that? The very thing meant for death. Notice, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, sprinkled in blood. He reigned in, pulled in, restrained by his grace the powers of evil. Doesn't mean that evil has been done away with just yet. It has not. The fool dealing with it will come when the light breaks over the east. But until that day, he restrains evil from your life and from my life because he took the full brunt of punishment for us. That was meant for us. He reined it in. But there's another way to use rain. Free rain. When you say you have free rain in this house, that means you're giving somebody license to do whatever they want to do, whatever they need to do. Many people actually spell it when they write out free rain, the R-E-I-G-N, which is technically incorrect. I looked this up. I didn't know. I never spelled free reign in a paper. But the proper usage is the horse analogy again. In other words, don't pull back on the reins. Let the thing go. Fly like the wind, right? That's what Gandalf told Shadowfax, the lord of all horses. Are you willing to let go of your reins? And let God be God in your life. Let him have free reign. Now I know it's scary. Look, I've been on a horse before. Those things are powerful. We even measure our cars by them. My truck has 300 and something horses running at any one given time. We measure it still by horses and their strength. And so when you just give a horse free reign, you let go. 
Boy, you don't know what always is going to happen. Same way with God. In the same way that in Lord of the Rings, Shadowfax was not controlled by anyone. In the same way in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is no one's cat. He's not a tamed lion. One of the more famous quotes from that movie and book. So too, God is not tamed. Not tamed by us. Will you let him have free reign in your life? He's a gentleman, so he's not going to impose himself. He knocks. He doesn't break down the door. Will you open the door and say, it's yours? Truly. See, I don't know all of what that means. No one does. You're his at that point. I can tell you he's good. I can tell you he's for you, but I can't tell you what he's going to ask you to do. I don't know. At 17 years of age, I gave God free reign in my life. I said, Lord, you can have it all. You can have it all. Whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. Get rid of this, it's gone. Smash this, done. Go here, do that, be this. Here I am, Lord, send me. Are you willing to say that without even knowing the end? Sometimes we do this with our kids, right? We say, hey, we're going to go somewhere. Oh, man, that's what our kids normally do. Like, hey, it's somewhere good. What do you think I'm going to take you to like a factory and make you work? When's that ever happen? Can't even squeeze out any work in the house. Ready for you to be a contributing part of the family one of these days, maybe. But we say that to our kids. We say, hey, we're going somewhere fun. We're going somewhere great. But you got to trust me. Why? Because it's funner that way, isn't it? Then the knowing up front, oh, you just ruined the surprise. It's great not knowing in some ways. You know what? God, watch me here. God wants to do something great in your life. He really does, but we got to give him free reign. I don't know what it is. It's probably something that would never cross my radar. I'm not creative enough. I'm not ingenious enough. But he wants to download that to you and get you started on the mission he has for you. With Harvest Point, we want to help you do that. In 2017, we're putting some things in place where we want to aid you in doing that. To say, hey, you know what? I think God's called me to do this. All right, let's do it. Let's invest in the kingdom. Give him free reign. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Now, there's another way to use reign. And that is R-E-I-G-N. Now, you're familiar with this one. This one more or less fits today, right? Which is, he's the king, therefore he is reigning. And so the idea here behind this one is that he's in charge, he is ruling, and there's nobody else that's ruling because he is the high king ultimately. And really all throughout the Bible you get this idea that God is king. Really from the very beginning. Even the way the Psalms a lot of times talk about God, which are prayers, is in regal terminology. And when it talks about he will crown us 
He will give us dominion. Notice that. Not only is God king, but he wants us to be kings and queens ruling under him. Isn't that an awesome thing? He gives us the responsibility to care for others. To produce things in the world at your job. To invest in people. To be for, you know, we all, we're still in the season kind of all the political stuff just still swirling around. Everybody's all talking about, we've got to create jobs, we've got to make the economy better. We need to make people's lives better. Why don't you do that in your own life? If you're truly a king and queen meant to rule alongside God, start doing those same kind. Look for ways to make people's life better. What if we live like that? I'll tell you one thing, if we live like that, when Thursday rolls around, we would really have something to be thankful for. We'd have a real heart of thankfulness because we wouldn't be focused on ourself. When you focus on yourself, it's a vortex of darkness. But others, there's freedom there. I know it's backwards. I know it's backwards. But that's the way Jesus set up his kingdom. The weak are the ones who are really strong. The poor in spirit are the ones who will be rich. Are you rich in your spirit? You can be as rich as you possibly want money-wise. But if, but if it's not going on here, if there's no peace here, what is life? And many have asked that question, and many have concluded with the barrel of a gun or with drugs. They've concluded it's nothing. But I'm here to tell you, it is something. There's a king who is reigning and who gives us the authority to reign with him empowers us to affect the lives of other people. That's a great responsibility, my friends. The scripture says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Generations upon generations, upon peoples, upon lands. He is the reigning king. And he reigns even today. He's over our president. He's over the leaders of the nations. There is no one in a position higher than he. Moses and the prophets saw this. David, who was the premier example of what a king should be in Israel, saw this. He understood that he was not the high king. He understood he was a king that pointed to the king of kings. And through David, the prophecy said, one would come whose kingdom, once it was set up, would never end. Friends, that kingdom has been installed. It was installed in the incarnation, which we will begin celebrating next week at the first Sunday of Advent. God took on flesh, 
descended down into the nastiness of humanity, humbled himself, and then died. But that wasn't the end of the story. He rose again and was highly exalted by the Father. And today, he sits in session at the Father's right hand. Congress may be in session, but Jesus is in session 24-7, all the time, never to end. Seated in a, in a position of power at the Father's right hand. You see, we as Christians are a part of another kingdom, and that kingdom is a kingdom of grace. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. That's what this kingdom's about. What does your week look like? Is it doing any of that? If it's not, join in with the kingdom. Get busy with the good news. It's also a kingdom of glory. This kingdom has already begun, and yet we're still waiting for its full arrival. In other words, he's already accomplished salvation, but it is still yet to come. The kingdom is here and now and yet to come. There will be a day when the fullness of God is revealed to humanity. Until that time, we're under his grace Because when that day comes, when the dawn breaks, when you see that white horse, it's over. There is no deciding at that point. You're either holding the enemy's sword or you're on the right side. There's no changing at that point. The scripture says in Revelation, let the righteous remain righteous and the wicked remain wicked. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. If it's not going to be destroyed, if He's not going anywhere, shouldn't you join up? What better day than now to sign up? You know, as we approach Christmas, some, I'm sure, are bemoaning the fact that Christmas lands on a Sunday. But I would want to encourage you, if Christmas is about Christ, what better place could we be? What better day could it land than on the Lord's day? If He's the reigning King, what better day than Christ's Mass? When He offers to us, and we will be offering, whether you're here or not, we're going to be offering His body and His blood. Pointing to a day when he's going to break in and end evil. For there will be a day, friend, when there will be no more sea. No more chaos. And every tear will be wiped away, never to return again.
Amen. Then there's this last rain, and this is it. And that is rain rain. Like the thing that we need that you hadn't seen in a long time. I mean, it rained just a little bit the other day and accumulated in my back of my truck, and I'm like, rain! It's like somebody poured a glass in there. That was about it. Once we take our hands off the rain of our life and allow God to R-E-I-G-N in our life, then he's going to rain down his Holy Spirit. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. And with the Holy Spirit, who is God, remember in the last, last stanza of the creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit. He brings with him all the good things that God has for you. You must receive the Spirit. Come out of hiding. If you really want the rain, get exposed to the sun, the S-O-N, and he will rain down upon your life and through your life, many other lives, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the joy that is only found in Jesus Christ. All those things are yours in him. The very one that we read about today in Revelation 19 is the very one who wants to come to live in your heart. To live at the center of who you are. Now I know what that's like. That's like asking Moses to come up on the mountain. You say, oh, that's cool. He'll have a better view. No, no, no. You don't understand. The mountain was quaking. The mountain was on fire, the Bible says. The mountain had a thunderstorm with lightning and wind, probably tornadoes. And God says, come on up, big guy. Uh, you, you sure, God, maybe we could stop just halfway down? No, no, no. Come right into my presence. Just as the three young Hebrew boys went into the very furnace of Nebuchadnezzar, so too God invites us into his blast furnace which is his presence, an all-consuming fire, and he invites us in. You say, I'm just a hair follicle. I'm going to melt, which is what, remember he said melt. The nations will melt. That's right. You will unless you're with that fourth person that Nebuchadnezzar saw. <laughs> you remember? He looks at, I thought, I thought we just threw three in there. Is my math off? But there's the one that looks like a son of the gods. Truly, the Son of God. Which means we can be invited into the flame and not be burned up. It says when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. They were purified though, and so was Nebuchadnezzar after that day. Would you come to the fire? Would you come into his presence, into the whirlwind that is God that Job met? Would you take your hands off your life and let him have free reign and let him reign eternally here so that he can rain down all the blessings that he has for you? Not just for somebody on the other side of the world or for me or for somebody down the seat. For you. For you. Let me end this morning where the Bible ends. 
Revelation 22.20. Yes, this is Jesus talking, I am coming soon. Here's our response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Say that with me. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hope you believe that. Hope you're ready. If you're not, today is the day of salvation. Would you join me here at these altars as our worship team comes and make sure that you're right with God as we enter into this season of preparation for the King. Because He truly is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.